Welcome to How Do Artists, a show that focuses on a single topic of conversation and asks the question, how do artists live, work, play, run their business, stay inspired, or handle challenges and adversity from an artist's perspective? Our show will speak with a diverse group of artists and creatives, and you as our listeners will have a chance to stop. Okay, sorry, we're going to have to, I messed this up, because we don't have a QA. and a Oh yeah, you're okay, right. So, you're right. Be like, I was gonna say, don't make me edit things. <laughs> <laughs> we don't have a Q and A because we're not live today. So, all right. Yeah. So, um, we're gonna start again, and I'm gonna skip that challenges perspectives. Yes, and then skip that whole thing. Sorry. All right, five, four, three, two, one. Hello, and welcome to How Do Artists, a show that focuses on a single topic of conversation and asks the question: How do artists live, work? play, run their business, stay inspired, or handle challenges and adversity from an artist's perspective. I am your co-host, Carlana Pedersen, artist and illustrator, and I am joined by co-host, musician and producer, Ryan Caldwell. Thank you, Carlana. Our topic for conversation today is how do artists find themselves? Our guest today is Ashira Siegel Fox. She is a local artist originally from Southern California. She began experimenting with a variety of different art methods and mediums to create her signature unconventional paintings using color, texture, depth, and dimension. Although she considers herself to be largely self-taught, her work over the years has been largely inspired by her own widely varied life experiences. Today, we are going to have a conversation with Ashira and discuss of those experiences as it relates to artists finding themselves and their artistic voices. Welcome, Ashira. How are you doing? How has your week been so far? Welcome. Yes. Hi. So nice to be here. Thank you so much for having me. Thank you Uh, for being on. (laughs) I feel honored. Um, Yeah, the week has been a little bit of a whirlwind. I have a kindergartner who is distance learning on Zoom these days. So I'm with him a lot on Zoom. I never imagined I would go back to kindergarten, but here we are. Um, yeah, so it's uh, it's been a week. <laughs> Glad that it's Friday. TGIF. <laughs> oh my gosh, yeah. yes. Right? Uh, yeah. Well, you know, I am so fascinated with you and your life. And we have had a couple of really interesting conversations so far. And you have such an interesting background. So to say that your life has been wildly varied might be a little bit of an understatement, right? (laughs) So can you give our listeners just a brief summary of your, your major overall experiences that you've had that would explain that comment? Um, and yeah, and why you say that? Yeah, I, I can give the elevator pitch of my life. Um, <laughs> 30 seconds, so to, go. 30 seconds. <laughs> um, yeah, I grew up ultra Orthodox Jewish. I grew up Hasidic actually, um, in a particular sect, uh, called Chabad or Lubavitch. Um, and uh, I grew up in Southern California, and I, you know, I remember being a really little kid and just really realizing that this was not, it was not how I wanted to live my life. Um, So I spent a large number of years kind of trying to, uh, I guess, kind of forge my own way um, out of that life. Uh, So I think from about the age of like maybe six or seven until probably until my late teens, early 20s, I really was just trying to like hold on to who I felt I was in this very, um, you know, very insular, pretty restrictive uh, lifestyle. But I grew up in Southern California. I grew up in Los Angeles. So, I mean, I grew up just, you know, a couple miles south of Hollywood. So it's not like I wasn't seeing everything around me. Um, And I was a very curious child. I wanted to know a lot. I read a lot of books. We did not have the internet at that point. (laughs) Right. Dating myself a little bit. Um, That's absolutely right. Yeah. So I just kind of took in whatever I could, wherever I could get it. Um, I was a voracious reader as a child. Uh, And then I went to high school in Massachusetts. I went to a Hasidic boarding school for like, you know, 
I, I say it was for like the wayward girls, <laughs> um, but it was kind of, it was for the kids that like didn't really fit into the general regular, you know, Hasidic schools for, for kids that age. And then after that, um, I, I le- I lived in Israel for about three years. Um, I got married when I was 20. It was sort of my last ditch attempt, um, to sort of do, w- I guess what I thought I was supposed to do. Mm-hmm. Um, for that lifestyle, like, okay, right. maybe if I, maybe if I get married and, you know, start this life, maybe, maybe then I will be content or something, um, you know, like, okay with, with being what I was told I was supposed to be for like my whole life, you know? Well, wait, um, wait a second. Did that, yeah. did that not, did that not yeah. happen though? Did what not happen? <laughs> did, did that not work out though? Oh no, it did not work out. <laughs> No, thank goodness. I mean, it really, I think that, you know, so, so right. So I I got engaged on my 20th birthday. Um, I was married to him for eight months and I divorced before my 21st birthday. Wow. We had a, I think we had a two month engagement, maybe, um, very fast, (laughs) which is the same faith. Yeah, he was Orthodox Jewish. He was not. He was not of the same Hasidic sect, um, but he was. He was. Um, yeah, he was very, very Orthodox, um, very religious, uh, yeah. and it just. You know, we had. You know, we it, it was not. It just wasn't where I needed to be, and I realized along the way, within a few months, of like this was, this was a mistake. Like, well, it, it's funny because such a quick turnaround for marriage is very unorthodox by most things. Yeah, yeah, definitely. You know, but my parents, my parents were very supportive in their ways. Um, when I, you know, we were living on like, I mean, you can't even imagine we were living on a settlement in Israel, like on a mountaintop surrounded by a barbed wire fence. There was a bus that came up once a day, maybe. Um, It was pretty intense. It was definitely not where I wanted to be. But when I called my parents and I said, I I don't think this is right. Like, I don't, I I need to figure out what's going on. I can't be here. I need, I need to come home. Um, They, they dropped everything and sent me a plane ticket. Um, because they, you know, I think that they really knew that that was not where I needed to be. So really like a huge credit to them for being able to do that, um, for me. Uh, so yeah, so I left him when I, before I turned 21, uh, moved to New York, got myself, um, got myself into college, uh, became entirely irreligious, became a bike messenger and I became an artist. (laughs) Wow. So let's, that kind of puts everything into, into focus uh, for the most yeah. part. And that's such a, there's so much there to dig unpack. into, to un- <laughs> unpack, to yeah. rewind. Let, let's talk about your time a little bit in New York. Now, you said that you were a bike messenger. And in our conversation with you, you had mentioned that as a bike messenger, you did a short film. Yeah. So I went and looked for that short film, and I got to tell you, I I did love it. I, you, I it, it was short. You. Yeah, I and think I, I think it was about ten minutes, eight minutes. It was about eight like minutes. Yeah. and there are a couple of uh, two other people that have a similar story online, but you feel like you were the pioneer <laughs> in, in that storyline. So tell me, tell us about that. So, um. It was called uh, Even the Girls, correct? Even the Girls, yeah. Even the Girls. And it's on yeah. YouTube. So if It is on YouTube. It, yeah, I made it, it in 2004. Sorry, I'm like interrupting. Ashira, oh. interrupt this. <laughs> <laughs> no, I was just saying to the listeners, look it up. It's called uh, Even the Girls. It's an eight-minute short film about a little bit of into the life of what it takes to be a female bike messenger in New York. And it's enormously entertaining. Yeah. So why don't you uh, Thank tell you. us a little behind the scenes on that? Yeah. So, you know, I, um, I got myself into college somewhere along the way, you know, look, when I, when I left my ex-husband, I remember getting on the plane and thinking, I know this is a family friendly show, so I'm not going to say the words exactly that I was thinking, but I remember thinking there is no way I'm going back 
there's no way I'm going back. Um, and so when I got, when I got to New York, it really became about who am I? Like, who am I? My whole, my whole life was, I was, I was kind of led in a certain direction that I knew didn't work for me. Mm -hmm. Um, and then when I finally left for real, um, I was pretty just flailing, you know, I really had no idea. So I, I got myself into college. Uh, I got myself into one of the city universities of New York. Um, what were you studying? So when I first got into college, I made a decision. I was about, I think I was 21 years old and I made a decision that I wasn't, I was going to take the classes that were interesting to me. And that was it. Um, because I had no idea what I wanted to do or what I wanted to be. I, I just had no idea. So the things that were really interesting to me were sociology and media studies and women's studies and art. Um, and so I kind of just kept taking classes that, that, like I said, that were interesting to me and that kind of, you know, became like my focus became media studies and women's studies and studio art. Um, and so when I was at Hunter, I went to Hunter college and when I was at Hunter, um, you know, I didn't really have a lot of friends, but somehow I fell into, or not somehow a friend of mine who also grew up in the same Hasidic sect that I grew up in and who also became not religious and who also went to that school introduced me to a bunch of her friends. And they were like these hippie drums. We used to do drum circles in Central Park. And like, it was just like so fun. And one of the guys um, who became actually became my boyfriend for a long time. Um, he was a bike messenger and he, or he had been a bike messenger at the time. He was actually an EMT. But he got me into bicycles as an adult. I loved riding bicycles when I was a kid. Um, my Hasidic neighbor taught me how to ride a bike when I was maybe five or six, like so sweet. Uh, and when I got back into bicycles as a grown up, like something really shifted for me. And it was like, like I felt like for the first time I was like in my body and I could, it was, it was like this real, like powerful. Um, I don't even know how to describe it, but it was, you know, it's so physical. And especially in New York where you're like weaving through traffic and like, you know, I remember like a cab got, would get too close and I would like bang on the hood of the cab. Like, do you see me? You know? And so it really yeah. like gave me yeah. a voice. Um, and so as I became more and more part of that community and actually became a bike messenger and, you know, we had like underground street races and, you know, it was, it's, I mean, you can go wow. online, you can see all sorts of stuff, like what bike messengers in New York and like the, you know, these street races that are called oh, alley yeah. cats. Yeah. Um, and, uh, you know, I, I realized that like, there were so many guys, there were just so many dudes and there really just were not a lot of women, but the women that there were, that were there were like just amazing. Um, these super tough, smart, um, just, just real awesome people. And so, um, I decided that, you know, I really wanted to highlight them. I really wanted to highlight the women messengers that I knew because all of the there had, there were like a lot of films, not a lot. There were a couple films that were made at the time about bike messengers. And they, you know, because it just is a fact that there are like a ton more men in that kind of job than there are women. Um, it just highlighted, you know, most of the men. And then there'd be like kind of the token female, you know, the token woman messenger. Right. Um, but I really wanted to like sh just highlight these amazing women. So um, so that's what I set out to do. I was studying media at Hunter at the time and I was taking a film class. So it kind of like very easily fit into that. Um, but it, yeah, it, it was, one of my <laughs> I'm favorite, proud of it. <laughs> one of my favorite scenes when one of the bike messengers, um, and, and forgive me if I don't remember her name, but she talked about how she got more sexual attention as a Kirby. bike messenger, yeah. she did when she was a stripper. Yeah. And that it, it, it just sort of encompassed what I feel is relevant even today. And that is yeah. what the Me Too movement talks about, what it, this, it, it was like this microcosm of what I feel like women 
in business and in their careers have had to deal with. And it was such an extreme because you've got this job as a bike messenger, which is sort of a trailblazer for women that are in it and what they've had to do um, to just compete. And it just reminded me of my own experience when I was working in, in production and I Mm. was only, it was only myself and two other women in the entire country running a, a, you know, 108 channel analog soundboard and splicing reel to reel um, by hand. And so it, it was, it, it was one of those things where watching that was, oh my gosh, I, it, it just brought up so many things yeah. that I feel is, is such a relevant message today. When you have you, I mean, when you think about that, what goes through your mind when you created it back in was it 2004 versus 2004. now, you know, 2020. I mean, yeah, I just can't believe we're still having the same conversation. Like, I can't believe we're having the same conversations. I can't believe that it's like still a thing. I can't believe that we're having the same conversations that our mothers and our grandmothers yeah. had. And like, it's just, Yes. Yeah. Thank you. <laughs> yeah. I mean, you know, like you're only, and you know, I appreciate, I think the thing that I appreciate is that I think, I think that there are more people talking about it. Mm-hmm. So I think that it's, you know, it's not this thing anymore. People are like, Oh no, that doesn't happen. What do you talk? Or that was just your experience. Like, no, right. people know that it's not just yours. And I think that that's, I think the most power or one of the powerful things about this now is that people feel like they can say something. And once people feel like they can say something, then you realize, oh, I'm not the only one. Like this isn't an isolated incident. This is like a societal issue. And it's been an issue for like, I mean, I guess forever, right? Like, (laughs) has there ever been a time when, you know, sadly... Yeah. Um, yeah. Well, I mean, so, it's also it's, it's never been better documented, though. <laughs> it's never been better documented, you know. Um, Than this day and age, right? Yeah. yeah. I mean, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. yeah. So absolutely. I think that there is. I think that there is uh, power in in communicating our experiences and being heard, um, but that doesn't change the structural issues. And I think that that's really where like this work needs to be done. And I think that, you know, that starts with putting women in charge, honestly. Um, I think that the more we have uh, positions where, you know, where um, women's voices are at the table, uh, then I think that those power dynamics will start to shift because things are not okay. When, you know, like when some guy, you know, whoever, I'm sure we could, list a hand, you know, a large number of people, uh, when they think they can just, you know, do whatever they want because they're in charge, like, no, people didn't, people didn't agree to that, you know? So. Yeah. Well, that's also, I feel I'm, I'm optimistic in thinking that's kind of a philosophical dynamic that's dying. I hope I feel so. Like that's less and less, you know. I mean, you look at like the 80s, for instance, and that was the that was in the the zeitgeist at the time, right? right? It's like, of course, you know, the person in charge gets to go and call the shots. Is there right. everyone gets to be their own little dictator? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and but nowadays, it's very much that's even in the cases where that's still the same. People just aren't bragging about that. <laughs> well, I mean, I think also like the way. You know, look, everybody's got a camera on their phones. Our phones are with us 24-7. So people better be careful about what they do because anybody could be recording it. So I think that's also a shift where I think that, you know, um, what's that phrase? Uh, Oh, make racists afraid again, right? So I think the same thing kind of applies, right? Like make, you know, make like sexual harassers afraid again, or like make misogynists right. afraid again. Like, I don't, you know, um, because right. yeah, like they should not be doing what they're doing. Um, right. Anyways. No, I, <laughs> I totally agree. And you know, I, I just wanted to circle back. Yeah. Sorry. It's like a passionate subject for me. I'm no, like, ah. no, 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 bring it, bring it. Yeah. But, but there is, there is something that I don't know if I have clear in my mind, and that is, yeah, you mentioned that your parents had an ideal about what it was 
they expected from you in your life, what was that ideal? What was it that they expected from you in your life in terms of what you were going to do? Yeah. So, you know, look, my parents are both very highly educated. They are, you know, my mom is a a nurse midwife. She's a women's healthcare practitioner. Uh, My dad graduated from like UC Berkeley in the seventies. Um, uh, but you know, they had their own path, their own spiritual path, and they really felt like they found the right way to be sure for that, you know? And so, you know, that's their right way to be. Um, so I don't know how much it's like this anymore. I think that that community in general has, uh, maybe shifted a little bit from this, but you know, when I was, when I was in my late teens, early twenties, it was expected that I would, you know, do a year or so of seminary, like post high school seminary, maybe two. Sorry, I said that right a year or two. (laughs) Um, And then, you know, the expectation was really that I would find, you know, I would get set up with some guy and go on a few dates and find the right guy for me with the help of a matchmaker. Uh, It wasn't, so we didn't, the sect that I grew up in, like, they don't do like the heavy, heavy matchmaking where it's just like, you know, right. this is pretty much who you're going to marry unless you hate you, them, right? Right, right. right. <laughs> so, so it wasn't like that. Which is in for, some cultures, absolutely. It is in yeah. some Hasidic sects. Mm-hmm. It's like right. that in some Hasidic sects still, you know? Um, so, but I was expected to, you know, get married and have kids and be religious and be part of that community. And um, yeah. So there it was no mention not, in terms of career for you. It really was um, more the domesticated version yeah, of Yeah, I mean, I remember my dad saying something to me. I think I was in high school, maybe late high school, and he was he kind of acknowledged that he he knew that I wanted to go to college. Um and so he he was like, "Yeah, you know, would I love it if you went to seminary and got married and had a bunch of kids?" Like, "Yeah, but you know, I know that you probably want to go to college." So, you know, so there was that thing, but it was very clear <laughs> what I was supposed to be doing, you know? So there was a lot of pressure. Um, there was like definitely a lot of pressure. Which, wow, um, that, that, that's just such a dated perspective though. It's like, it. I mean, yeah. <laughs> like I, I remember talking to my mom about things like that and her parents being like, yeah. oh, I guess, I mean, you're, you're a woman, so I guess you can go to college too. But, you know. <laughs> is that yeah. but the men in that community are not expected yeah. to go to college either. You know, they're expected to like, you know, for the most part, they go to rabbinical school. A lot of them, they become rabbis. They're very, they're very uh, highly studied. I have um, never heard the word rabbinical before. The word rabbinical. It makes total sense. Like, yeah. You know, I like, yeah. Yeah. I learned something. Look at that. Yeah. Hey, <laughs> learn something every day. Um, so, you know, I think that just that, that world in general does, does not really embrace um, secular education as far as, Look, it's there's plenty of like doctors and lawyers and you know very highly educated people, but I think, I think that, you know, what the people are encouraged really to you know stay within the community and study and have families and be religious and you know study Torah and and do those kind of things and yeah, so it wasn't for me. <laughs> Definitely not for me. There oh, is a little bit, own path, right? Yeah, there, there yeah. is a little bit more to life. Yeah, so, I mean, for some people, it works. You know, more power to them. Great, but it's not for everybody. Well, right. okay. So I, I've got a question for you. So how how do you feel that your upbringing, like, how does that how has that affected your artwork specifically? Yeah. Um, so, you know even though I'm not religious, there are still things that I feel very connected to because of my upbringing, because of how I was raised and memories that I have. Um, so, you know, there's various prayers that, that make it into my work. Um, Hmm. uh, and I really, I love the Hebrew alphabet as well. Um, so like, so that features in some of my work. Um, like I just Hmm. love, like, there's just, it's just such an ancient, they're just such ancient letters and they're just, yeah. I just think they're so beautiful. Um, yeah. And, you know, I, there's a lot of things that fact that come into my work. Um, I like to make Jewish art as well as my other stuff. Um, I like to, I like to make work that 
people in, in the community that I was raised in, or some of my work, look, some of my work is not for everybody, right? Mm-hmm. Um, certainly, I have some work that would not be for that community. Um, but, you know, but I do like to make, I do like to make work that the people that I still love in that community, because I still have, you know, people that I grew up with that that I'm very deeply connected to. Um, and so I like, I like having work that they would be proud of. Um, and that they would, that like, I love, I love, you know, giving my parents different pieces and, um, you know, seeing it in their house that they're proud to display it. Um, I think that, you know, I'm, I'm really fortunate in that I, after many years have, have a pretty good relationship, have a very good relationship with my parents and my family. Um, I have a lot of friends. Blessing. It, it's a real blessing. Um, like I say, I, I feel so fortunate about that. Um, I have a lot of friends who were not as fortunate. Yeah. Especially when you've separated yourself from, yeah, from the religious aspect of how you grew up to a large degree, because yeah, even though you have to, follow your own um your own path i i totally understand what you what you mean and what you've been through and and it's it's still a difficult situation um yeah and, and i feel like parents can sometimes um you know maybe get a little bit um defensive or hurt yeah absolutely is a piece of their soul that you know, that they yeah. were hoping to pass on to their kids. And I think it is an absolute blessing when um, when parents can look at that and say, um, it's not what I had hoped, but yeah. this is our, our child. We love that, that child and yeah. uh, we're going to be there no matter what and, and still do your best to get through those things and, and still hang on to your bond. I think that that's, um, I, I think in, in that of itself is, is just, um, is a blessing and, and just not everyone has, yeah. um, has that. I mean, look, regardless of religion and religiosity, you know, people have all sorts of different relationships with their families. Like, so, you know, I, right. I feel very fortunate in general with my family and especially given that, I chose a lifestyle that is so different than theirs. Um, You know, uh, I think as parents, like I'm a mom of two, I have two little, two little, two little kiddos, (laughs) Um, you know, and as parents, we have not just hopes and dreams, but expectations, you know? And so as a parent, like I have to work so hard to not put my expectations on this tiny little person who's just, just, just barely beginning to figure out who they are, you know, they're, they're their own people. Like I can, I can try and influence and I can try and, you know, obviously like help them and, you know, all those kind of things, but ultimately they've got to decide, you know? And so I, and for me too, like I, you know, I had to make those decisions. Um, it's uh, it's not easy being a parent. I'll tell you, I'm <laughs> way, way more humble now being a parent and towards wait my parents. Turn to teenagers. Mm-hmm. That's gonna oh, be sh- another fun. Already <laughs> 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 scared. <laughs> That's a whole other experience. Yeah. I know. So, I think every age, right? You're just like, oh, but I just got used to this. No. I thought the potty <laughs> training. I thought the potty training stage was the worst ever i'm like that's one stage i'd never want to go back into like all the way up that that one section (laughs) i'll take that three times over right now i'm in some (laughs) other sphere of of things and 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 you realize you didn't know as much as you thought you did no i was a mark twain was a mark twain who said that you know that 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 uh thing he said where it was like you know I'm going to like totally butcher it, but, um, he said something about how, when I was, when I was a kid, uh, you know, I thought my, my dad was such an idiot. And then, you know, I turned 20 or 20, whatever it was. And like, wow, the guy had learned a lot. You know, (laughs) 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 Wow. The guy had learned a lot in just a few years. (laughs) I know. Um, Right. It's it's crazy, but yeah, it's all, all a part of life. And yeah. Yeah. So, So, Based on all of that, that your experience, um, 
and what you had to go through and and coming out on on this side of things, you're an artist and mm-hmm. you're doing what you want to do in your life. Yeah. And you have this great relationship with your parents and you I mean, like are, every family, we all have our, you know, ups and downs and all that. Sure. But thankfully overall, yeah, we're in a good yeah, absolutely. I mean, yeah. you know, you've, you've nothing is ever perfect. Yeah. But what was the hardest part of developing your own artistic voice and sense of self through all of that? What was the hardest? Yeah. Um, I think I think for me it was trusting trusting myself, trusting my eye, learning to, um, learning to let myself do what I, what I knew I needed to do versus what I thought other people thought I should be doing. Like I, I'm not a drawer. I I don't like, I hate, I actually, I, I'm not going to say I hate it, but I, I strongly dislike drawing like you if, mean paper if, and pencil kind of drawing? I mean I mean like I mean like figurative like not not figurative but like you know realistic kind of drawing I, right. I like doing drawings right. that are you know more abstract and you know mark making and that kind of thing but when I was you know I took a couple classes it was like here draw this you know draw this stack of rocks or you know whatever it was like learn the shapes and the forms and all that and it's so tedious to me like and, and I look at people who do that, you know, my sister, my sister's an amazing artist. You guys should look her up. Her name is Rifka Krinsky, Rifkakrinsky.com. Her work is just beautiful. And she's an oil painter and she, you know, she's, she's so painterly and she, she does these gorgeous things. She is like, I'm like, you know, I'm a mixed media artist. I like, like move all this stuff around and I, I have to see it this way and then see it that way. And then I bring this thing over here and, oh, this pile of papers that I, you know, that I had on my desk in a certain way. And I like those colors together. That was just an accident, but I'm going to pull from that and look at what this does over here. And, oh my God, you know, I'm so like ADD scattered, but (laughs) still so, um, you know, my eye is always looking, is always seeing things. And so once I learned to trust my eye, then I think that's when things started really opening up for me um, in terms of like what I, what I knew I could do, what I could do. Because, you know, you can't really, if you don't trust yourself to do the thing, um, you know, it, gets, it just gets a lot harder. Right. So, you know, so once I stopped, um, I don't know, I just, I really like to play. Uh, and, and I really like to learn about, different ways of making images. I love doing, um, uh, transfers, like different types of tra- like photo transfers and things like that. And so like all these different things have like set me off on the next thing. Um, so, you know, I just, I don't know. Um, I hope I'm being articulate. <laughs> I'm getting lost in what you're saying. I'm also getting a little lost. (laughs) No, I'm. Have you ever like to that point? I just have you ever taken a piece of transfer paper and like saw a pattern in like marble or or wood or something, like and and seen like a face or a pattern and you're like, oh my gosh, that's called pareidolia. I think it's called pareidolia. 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 I'm gonna look at pareidolia or pareidonia. So. It's when you see when you see an image in something that's in not there. So like else. if you're looking at the clouds and you see a face or you yeah. see a dragon or something. Yeah, it's so cool. Totally. And you've like, taken transfer paper and I have taken like transfer paper and like have like you know the rubbed, like done rubbing and stuff. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Back yeah, yeah, yeah. on it. Yeah. And like tried yeah. to copy it and put it on something else so I can recreate that image. But Sometimes it works and sometimes it doesn't. But when (laughs) you talking reminded me of that because you see things differently. Yeah, that's what that's, you know, that's a large part of being an artist is you see things. You got to trust your eye. You see things differently and you you take you take in this stuff and then you create out of it. Um, I mean, like, obviously, right. Like that's like the silliest thing to say. That's like so obvious, Um, but it's true. Like it's, you know, like I, I, all the things, all the little studio tests and things that I've tried and Polaroid transfers and, you know, my, so like working with my, like I, I was doing, I, I was invited, 
when I was a bike messenger, not when I was a bike messenger, when I moved to LA, I became like a bicycle, more of an activist. I stopped being a messenger. I became a bicycle activist and, uh, and I was an, I was an artist at that, you know, at that time already. And, um, I was invited by a bag company to paint on some bags, a bike messenger, a bike messenger bag company called Timbuktu. Mm. Um, I think they're out of San Francisco. Um, so they invited me to paint on some bags that they, on some fabric that they turn into bags. Nice. And so I had an idea of what I wanted to do. I was doing a lot of silk screening at the time. And uh, so I was hand painting these bags and silk screening. And then I knew that I needed to sew this stuff on top of the bags, but I didn't know how to sew. So, yeah. <laughs> and so uh, of course, well, of course, not of course, you guys don't really know me, but um, when I have a deadline, I work really well. <laughs> Like with a deadline. Now it's a little less because I have just so much other stuff going on. But at the time I was under like a super tight deadline. I called up one of my friends and I was like, can you please help me with my sewing machine? I, I don't even know how to thread. Like I don't even, I don't even know how to, right. how to thread, thread it properly. Yeah. Like I didn't know how to thread it properly. Um, and so she, you know, she and another friend of ours showed me how to do it. And um, I was able to take that and I'm still using my sewing machine and my artwork. Like I've developed a whole way of making art from my sewing, using my sewing machine because I did that project wow. and needed to learn this thing. So like, I feel like as a mixed media artist, it's like every single thing that I learn, I'm able to like bring it back into my art and use it wow. to oh, make yeah. my work. And so it really... I don't know. I feel like it just ties so much. Like my life is so, um, I don't know, is the word like despair. Like I have all these experiences and places that I come from and they're so not connected. Like I was parasitic and I became a bike you. messenger. Right. And so they're connected within me. And so that's also like what I, I guess what I do with my art also is I end up oh, yeah. pulling from all these different places and it all comes together in these pieces. No, that's um, wonderful. That's absolutely wonderful. I can, and I can, I can absolutely identify with that as a as a multi instrumentalist. Yeah, and that's one of the things I've pushed on people a lot is that no, just do a bunch of different stuff because you'll never yeah. know what the like what cross pollination will yield. <sighs> Like, Seriously, I, yeah. Like be being a drummer has made my piano playing better. Versus, you know, I don't know. Just diff the different ways you ha can wrap your head around things and think about things, and even just down to communication too. Yeah, yeah. Being able to communicate with people from different walks of life or different facets. Definitely. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I, I love being a mixed media artist. Well, actually, as long as as long as we have a, a moment to segue, what what would you? So off the top of your head, what of the places you've lived? Because you've lived in a bunch of different, very colorful yeah. places. Which of those places do you feel has led the most to your own personal growth? The, New York. That kind of made New York. Wow, New York. Right off that. the top <laughs> of your head. New York. Well, yeah, that being said, I mean, some like experiences can lead to a lot of growth, especially when you're coming out of something like that, where you had, you know, everything just predefined is yeah. what you're supposed to be. Even your personality. Yeah. Yeah. And then just I mean, you know, giving a blank canvas. Yeah, it's, you know, it's interesting because when I left New York, I thought I was going for like, you know, like six or eight months. I rented out the bedroom I was staying in, like, you know, subleased the bedroom that I lived in. I lived in this big illegal warehouse that, people you know, we built into bedrooms and studios and stuff. Nice. So I didn't want to so let New that York. go. <laughs> I know. So New York. <laughs> Early 2000s in New York, you know. Um, so, uh you know, I, I rented it out or rented out my room. Um, and then, you know, at some point I was like, Oh, it's, it's been like two years <laughs> that I've been here. <laughs> so did you go back to California? Yeah. Yeah. I came back to California at that point. Yeah. That was, I want to say that was like two, maybe 2007. I want to oh, say it was, wow. I want to say it was 2007. So, so all that happened in New York over a two year period? No, no, no. I lived uh -oh. in New York from, I think I moved there in 99. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Okay. That makes, it makes a little more sense with the timeline <laughs> in my head. Yeah. I was like, yeah. what? <laughs> yeah. No, I moved to, I want to say I moved back to LA in, a, in 2007. Um, yeah. And then somewhere within the, within a couple of years, I kind of realized like, oh, 
I guess I'm living here. <laughs> I guess I'm not, I guess this is not like, you know, a little stint, like, yeah, I'll go hang out with my folks for a while or, you know, yeah. and I, I just really fell in love with LA. I didn't like LA as a kid. It felt so inaccessible to me. There was no like easy transportation. Yeah. Like yeah. it was just hard. Not, um, not being able to drive makes LA a lot harder. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. But like as a grown up, especially with my bicycle, um, you know, it really, it really became like a playground kind of. And I just, I just really loved what LA had turned into, um, culture wise and art wise. Um, and I forget the question. I forget what the question was. I'm sorry. <laughs> no, no, you answered the question and more. <laughs> well, okay. So but we do, you know what we are, we're, we're, we're nearing the end. We're not quite yeah. there yet, but what would you say to someone who's trying to figure out who they are? Play, do the things that, um, sorry, excuse me. Oh, you're fine. <coughs> COVID, no COVID, sorry. <laughs> <laughs> sorry. Um, is this, uh, yeah, so what I would say to somebody starting out is just, just play. Like, find the things that are enjoyable to you, that are interesting to you, build on them, learn the tools that you are interested in. Don't worry about what what you think is art or what you think other people think is art. Don't worry about doing things a certain way or, um, you know, everybody has their ways of making stuff. And really, the real magic, I think, of being an artist is when you find the things when you find the ways um, that just really connect with you uh, or that you connect with, um, you know, because inanimate objects don't connect with us, we connect with them, right? Right. <laughs> um, but yeah, to just, to just, to just stay focused on what, on what you are experiencing versus what you think anybody else has to say about it. Was that, was it Andy Warhol? What is it? And no, it was Jackson Pollock, right? It was oh, it Jackson yeah. Pollock or Andy Warhol who said, you just make art. I don't know. Again, I'm going to butcher the thing, but make your art. And while everybody else is talking about it, don't even worry about it. You just continue making art. <laughs> your job is just make art, just do it. And you'll love some stuff and you won't like other stuff. And eventually if you keep doing those things, you will find your voice. Yeah. And that's really what it's about, right? Like the more we the more we delve into ourselves and into our tools and into what we enjoy and want to do, that's where our voice comes from. Oh yeah. It doesn't come from other people telling us stuff. Right. That's oh, other yeah. people's voices. That's not my <laughs> voice. That's everybody else's. And I feel like my whole journey in life is here learning to hear my own voice and where I want to go with it, where I want to oh, take right. it. Where do you want to take it? <laughs> to the moon, baby. <laughs> um, you know, honestly, I'm just so proud to actually have a functioning website up. And I'm, I no seriously, because it's, it's no joke. It's, 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 yeah, it's no joke. It's yeah. so intense for like artists who just want to make stuff to do all the other stuff in the background to be able to have a functioning business is so much. So I'm real proud of that. That's only like, a, like my website's only a few months old. Um, where do I want to go? I want to just continue to make art. I want to, um, I have so many ideas for things, <laughs> so many ideas and so many things I want to do. I have collaborative things that I want to do with, um, with people who are not artists, um, sure. like with, with my audience, I've collaborative pieces. I want to, I want to start doing with my audience. I have ideas for that. Um, so really what I really want to do is I just want to, to keep doing what I'm doing and take it, you know, as far as I can. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, no, that's, that's exactly, um, I, I totally get that. And it sounds like that's where your intention is. That's where you are moving into that direction. And it's always good to have that idea of where it is you want to go so that you can start to yeah. steer in that direction. Oh, yeah. yeah. I think for me, just, I know we're running out of time, but one other thing, oh, you're fine. you know, that is just real important to me art wise is, um, I want everybody to know that 
even if you're not an artist, you can be a collector. You don't have to, like one of my intentions with making work is to make pieces that are affordable so that, you know, and regardless of how big or small, when people have that experience of owning an a print, like an art print or an original piece of work from somebody, it's like, it's so special and it's so powerful. And, um, you know, it is my intention, like, regardless of how far I go, I really want people who connect to my work to be able to have it and to have it in their homes and to live with it. I think that's one of the most precious things about artwork is to be able to to look at something that you love every single day and have it with you and, you know, experience that like art is not art is living. It's not just something that, you know, needs to be seen in galleries or museums, like live with art regardless of just, you know, so yeah, I just want to say that. (laughs) Oh, that's that's super important. I actually, I feel really, and I feel badly for anyone who hasn't like been able to connect with art in that way, who doesn't have it around them, you know, poster people or just, yeah. I mean, I think that a lot of times people think that they think that they need to have a lot of money to be a collector or to have original art. They think they need to be like really wealthy and like, you don't just find art that you like and buy like, there's so many artists who make stuff that's like, you know, you could find amazing art for like 20 bucks, 50 bucks, you know, yeah. um, 200 bucks. Like, Although it, it does, it does help to have a lot of money to collect art. Oh yeah. Of course. Listen, I mean, the truth <laughs> of the matter is that it helps in general. It does help to have, you know, people like to say this, oh, money doesn't make you happy. And yes, that's certainly true but it is helpful. And there's a lot of people who are unhappy because they don't have it. So, what was that? Like yeah. $70,000 $70, a year. That was like the, the top of the bell curve there. I, I remember yeah. reading an article about that where it's yeah. like, I think it was like $70,000 as yeah. you know, by yourself. As then an artist? Basic, no, no. Uh, just as a person. As a all person your, to be able to live. Covered, but um, you don't have enough yeah. money to have new problems. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, look, when we are in a society where most, what is it? Most people don't have $400 saved if they have an emergency, like, yeah, you know, there's, there's major problems around us. And we, as a society, like definitely need to be addressing them. But if you do have $400, you should use it on art. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, if you have, if you have, four, I mean, like, or feed your kids, <laughs> your kids, you know. feed your right. kids art. Wait, no, no, you can't do that. <laughs> well, speaking of that, you had mentioned that you have two kids. Do you think they're yeah. following in your in your footsteps? So, um, you know, it's funny. What my older kid, he has such a he's he's so amazing. He has such an, a mechanical mind, and he's like super obsessed with trains. And he could tell you everything about like every train there ever exists that ever existed, like for real. Um, and he doesn't like to draw or paint that much, but he does really like to like get into Play-Doh and, you know, all that stuff. Sculptor, two- maybe. Maybe. <laughs> the the two, almost two-year-old. I have, I have one kid who's going to be two, like in January. And he is, he's like my little art guy. Like he, he, when I say, Hey, do you want to, do you want to draw? Do you want to use the markers? He like runs over to his high chair and gets all excited. And he like, gets up in his high chair and is all ready. <laughs> he like, he loves it. So I like have this, you know, stack of markers, like, you know, uh, the Crayola markers, right. The super washable kind. Sure. Right? And so I'll hold out, you know, the color stack to him and he will go and he'll pick the color that he wants. And he loves the color purple. He doesn't say a lot of words yet, but he goes purple, purple. <laughs> He's like, so excited for Hanukkah. It was just Hanukkah. So I, I got him a set of, um, of like paints like this, you know, like these non-toxic paints and he was just over the moon for them. Like it was just, it's like really sweet. So I think, I think, you know, look, my kids can be whoever they want to be, whatever they want to do, as long as they're, you know, good humans. But this guy, I mean, I think, I think he really likes art. So we'll see, you know, happy to support, you know, whatever. Whatever they want to do. You got it. Absolutely. (laughs) Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. All right. Well, I do think that does draw our podcast to a close for today. Thank you so much for having me. This has been so much fun. Um, Yeah. Thank you. (laughs) 
<laughs> no, it's thank been a blast. Thank you for being here. I mean, thank you for, for coming and talking with us. It's been just an absolute delight to have you. Um, it's been so sweet. You guys are super fun. And I was right. so nervous. And then, like, you guys just made me feel very at home. And, yeah. I am so happy about that. No yes. reason to be nervous. We oh, exactly. have a great time here. And yeah. where would you like to send those that are listening to this podcast? Where would you like them to go to learn more about you? Yeah. Um, my website is www.ashirasegalfox.com. It's a little bit of a mouthful. <laughs> well, well, we'll spell that out for them. Uh, a S H I R A. S-I-E-G-E-L-F-O-X.com. There are not many Asheras in the world, I think. And there's fewer Ashira seagull foxes. That's right. Yeah. So like worst case, people can certainly Google me like Ashira art. I, I do all of my um all my social media handles are under Ashira's art. So nice. you can always Google that too, Ashira's art. At some point I might switch my website to Ashira Fine Art. I don't know. I'm still playing Ooh. around with it, but but they can nice find thing. you for now. <laughs> for but, now, yeah. Ashirasegalfox.com. I'm also on Instagram at Ashira's art and TikTok now. That's a thing. Oh, whoa. Yeah. That yeah. is a thing. I feel very, very proud <laughs> very of myself good. for that as a, you know, middle-aged person now. <laughs> <laughs> on, t- on TikTok. Yeah. Very but good. it's fun. I mean, I have to say it's fun. <laughs> good for you. I, I am not there yet, but... Took me a little while. Yeah, <laughs> Honestly. Actually, no, that, a that, while. That, that, that's a new venture I am going to be jumping on fairly shortly. You should do it. It's oh, fun. Yeah. It's, you know, it's especially, um, you know, if you're a musician, oh, get yeah. on there. Yeah. Very Get good. Yeah. Well, Carlana, thank Ryan, you. thank you so much for having me again. This has just been so much fun. <laughs> Absolutely. Well, and hey, I would like to go and thank anyone who's listening for listening to How Do Artists. And on behalf of myself, Carlana, and Ashira, I would like to say so long until next week, same time, same place. Bring your questions and your curiosity, and we will see you then. How Do Artists is a live stream podcast hosted and produced by Ryan Caldwell and Carlana Pedersen. Our theme song, How to Live, by Bird Garden featuring Rodgers and Cooper, was written by Ryan Cooper, Anna Rogers, and Ryan Caldwell. The How Do Artists logo, illustrations, and art design were created by Carlana Pedersen. Tune into our live streams and stay up to date by following us on Facebook, YouTube, and Twitch. For more information about Ryan Caldwell, visit ryancaldwellmusic.com. And for more information about Carlana Pedersen, visit carlana.com. Tune in next time. Thanks for listening.